you can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and this is another edition of the Bose Nose Show, and we're coming to you live from beautiful Old Town Florence and the Patriot Place here in Old Town. And we actually have a live audience today, so we're going to be talking with a few people probably locally here, and, and I invite anyone that's listening in the Florence area to come on down to Patriot Place, and you can get in on the show and participate. And I'm Jay Bozovich, your West Lane County Commissioner, and this is the Bose Nose Show. But if you want to get in from somewhere outside of Florence, you can give me a call at 646-721-9887. And just press one because that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the Bose Nose Show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And just press one. So I want to start out and speak with Sherry Harvey here, who is one of the main drivers for the uh, uh, Bose, for the uh, Patriot Place. Sorry, uh, uh, as you can tell, I'm not a broadcast professional. I'm actually just an engineer at heart. So uh, excuse me for stumbling over my words now and then. But you got Patriot Place going here with a couple other folks. Tell me about Patriot Place. You know, kind of why you guys decide to do this and what Patriot Place is and all that, so folks out there can understand where I'm broadcasting from. Well, what it is is it's uh, community hangout slash gift shop. That's the short version of it. Basically, because of Facebook and uh, the media and uh, a lot of bashing going on of, of you know different parties and stuff, we wanted a place where primarily conservatives could come and uh, like-minded folks and chat about what's going on in the day. That uh, free, we have free Wi-Fi so they can go on their computer, talk to each other about what the latest events are, and feel comfortable and not and, and not intimidated. Behind you, we've got, nobody can see, but we've got four giant versions of the Constitution. And uh, in uh, the First Amendment, uh, the, Bill, the Bill of Rights talks about how the, we will not infringe on people's rights to assemble and to talk. And it seems like we're, there's a lot of uh, arguing and uh, kind of the weapon of intimidation is being used uh, against anybody that seems to like the president. So this is a place people can come. Uh, if they love the country as much as we do, they will feel completely comfortable. Uh, on Thursday, we have free pastries for Vets Day because uh, vets and law enforcement are some of our most uh, appreciated people in the area and the, because of what the difficulty of their job. So they come in and, uh, oh, goody, a picture. <laughs> um, 
And, and we really support them. So we have a number of, of vets that come in and uh, folks that are in the police force and fire department. And so we really want to encourage them. Actually, we have coffee, tea, whatever for anyone that, uh, that's free. But also we in, encourage people bringing in locally purchased sandwiches and, and coffees and things because we aren't competing as a shop or anything with other folks in Old Town. The Old Town uh, place that we are right now is beautiful because we're looking right down on the river. It's handy across from the parking lot, easy to get to. And what we've been doing lately is hosting events for our favorite candidates. You're here. Uh, we had Sam Carpenter last Saturday. Terry Greer came. And we don't actually have to invite any particular candidates because we're not affiliated with any particular uh, political party nor funded by any. So that's, what am I forgetting? Perfect. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so that, that, you know, really, uh, it's a really nice place, you know, you've got here. Uh, you know, as I look around, there's a lot of Americana, a lot of red, white, and blue. But really, you know, sitting here with the Constitution behind me and, and uh, you know, the Declaration of Independence just off to the left, um, it, it's a great reminder of, of, you know, the foundations of this country. And, and, you know, folks that know me know that I usually carry a pocket Constitution around with me. I just don't have one today. For some reason, I must have left it in my uh, on my desk, but it, it's really an important thing to me, the Constitution, and getting back to those roots and understanding the First Amendment. And, and this shows shows kind of about that because I let anybody call in, and I and I, and I, and I from anywhere really. I've actually had a phone call from South Africa one time. Wow. Yeah. And uh, and someone's going to hand me another pocket Constitution. I actually have a whole stack of them. I, I buy them from the Cato Institute by the hundred. And, and I hand them out to high school kids. Yeah, and so, uh, but it, it's it's really a, a nice place down here uh, in, in Old Town for folks to stop. And, and yeah, you know, a lot of times folks are down here in Old Town and they're shopping and stuff like that. And you kind of, you know, a lot of the shops are a little bit crowded, to, you know, kind of walking between the displays and all that. And, and sometimes they get a little crowded. And if you just want to come someplace and sit down for a few minutes, you know, if you're a tourist or, or, or coming over from Eugene, and you just need to sit down and, and take a deep breath. Nice spot just to come in and do that because you know it, it's you know nice. It's kind of like being in somebody's living room, you know, sort of. So that if I want to describe it that way, you know, come in, step in their living room, sit down, have a cup of coffee, and talk with a few folks, you know, friendly folks. And it's kind of like it's like the old general store, you know. You know, about the only thing missing is a potbelly stove. Yeah. We'll have to get on that. Yeah. 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 If it's cold again, we'll do that. Yeah. So, so, so there, there you go. The project for the future for Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to get the permits for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wanted to mention, since Jeff put so much work into building the bar and the, all the wood and everything, we have uh, a lot of uh, uh, volunteers. Everything here is run by volunteers. There are no paid employees or anything, and they volunteer to come spend their time, come in, greet uh, guests who come in, uh, tourists who come in, uh, clean the place up, uh, do whatever is needed. And so it's a completely volunteer-based uh, group, so in nonprofit, of course. So that part is really exciting because sometimes somebody will walk by, we don't even know who they are. They look in, they say, oh, you know, I've got a flag. Could you use that? Or I've got a vacuum. Or can you use a microwave and all of these things? Yes, we need it. But there's so much 
desire to give. So it's just kind of a warm feeling and folks want to be a part of improving our country when they can. Yeah. Well, it's really great you guys have uh, got this place going and up and running and you've only been open, what, two weeks now? Not quite. Not quite two yeah. weeks. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's brand new to Old Town Florence. So I'm kind of happy to do the show from here and give you guys a, Thank you. You know, a, a plug and hopefully that'll draw a few more people over here. But, you know, this is the Bo's Nose Show, and we talk about everything Lane County for the most part, but really we do kind of a free-for-all format. If somebody calls in, we'll talk about whatever they want to talk about. So just to remind folks, the number is 646-721-9887, and just press 1, lets us know you've got a question or a comment, we'll get you on the show. But i got a couple things I want to cover today. One of the first things I want to cover is that the ballots have been mailed for Lane County, and if you are a registered voter and have not received your ballot by today, you should have gotten it. So please contact our elections division to get a replacement ballot. Because if you do not have your ballot by today, there's something, you, you, something's happened to it in the system. So if, if you're a registered voter in Lane County and you did not receive a ballot for the May 15th election, please contact our Lane County Elections folks. Uh, and then don't forget to get those ballots filled out and turned in by May 15th. And uh, right now it's still early enough, you can mail them back in, but there are drop sites where you don't have to spend money on a stamp and drop them off um, all over the county. So uh, big election for me at least coming up. So there are a few other things that happened in the last couple of weeks. Yesterday was our first meeting of our budget committee. And that's something by Oregon law, uh, all local jurisdictions have to adopt a budget by July 1st, basically June, end of midnight, June 30th. And that's for our next fiscal year. So you kind of got to start a little bit early and, and almost all the uh, local governments and school districts, et cetera, start in May in their budget process. And we started our budget process last night with the reading of the budget message from our county administrator, who is our budget officer uh, appointed by the board. And in that um, budget message, he outlined several things we're doing with our budget. There were some pretty darn exciting things going on with our budget. And, you know, it's everybody's like, oh, budget, how can you be excited about that? Well, you have to think back to when I was first elected to county commissioner in 2011. The first budget I walked into as a county commissioner was a 20% real dollar cut in our budget. Not one of these things where they inflated the budget up and then they, because they're not getting the full inflated amount of the budget, it's a cut. No, we went from a $600 million all-funds budget to a $480 million all-funds budget in a single year. So, you know, that was, that was the reality I came into as a county commissioner. And trying to stabilize our county services in the face of those massive budget cuts. For several years, we were dealing with constantly having to cut people, which means cutting services, in order to balance our budget. And we kind of got that stabilized over a couple of years. And then we worked really hard on controlling the cost side of the equation so that we could keep the growth of our cost in line with the growth of our revenue. And in the last couple of years, we've been successful at that. Last year, we adopted a structurally balanced budget, which means by definition, what we were spending was exactly what we were taking in. We weren't using reserves. 
to fund it and, and so it balanced structurally. And that was a big accomplishment for Lane County to actually not be drawing from reserves that built up over the years from secure rural schools payments or past timber payments. We were actually living, you know, like most American families do on our income. And, and, it, and we were able to do that while at the same time cutting our public safety levy rate, which is, you know, which is even more impressive. So we balanced our budget structurally, didn't use any reserves, didn't make any cuts, and we cut taxes. Mm -hmm. This year, we're proposing again a structurally balanced budget. So, you know, we're, we were successful in doing that. And on top of that, with all of our cost savings we've been doing, like we have been really trying hard to bring under control our workman's compensation claims and our and the cost of workman's comp. Yeah, you know, we're we're fourteen hundred people. When and when you talk about having that many people, you can get a get a lot of workman's comp claims. It can be a real cost driver. And we're self-insured for that, so we have to have a reserve to cover that self-insurance. Well, we've been so successful in doing that, we have actually now built up too large of a reserve in that fund because we are over saving for for the for the claims. We've reduced our claims so much. We've also done the same thing in our health insurance as far as just you know normal health insurance claims. We've been able to reduce those claims and our reserves built up in that. We've also done it in some of our legal side and the reserve we keep for um, doing legal, uh, you know, settling lawsuits and everything else. You know, as a large organization, you have to deal with that. So we built up a bunch of reserves in these funds that are now available to us to utilize in a, in a critical way. And one of the things that happened was there was a bill passed in the legislature last year that set up a 25% match to local government's funds if they wanted to address the PERS liability they have. So we are taking some of that excess reserve money from those cost savings about $8 million, the state's going to match it with $2 million, and we're going to invest it through the state program, and it will ultimately generate about $21.5 million towards our PERS liability. So we're basically, you know, through our, our sound financial management, saved about $8 million in money now we're taking that money and investing it, and it's going to turn into paying down $21.5 million of our PERS liability. Now, that's a pretty amazing story. And it just, you know, it speaks to how Lane County has been so financially responsible over the last several years. And, and it's all those things we've been doing that, that afforded us this opportunity to have that money available when the legislature decided to pass this, this bill that set up this matching fund to take advantage of those state funds to increase our ability to set aside that money and then invest it in the state investment fund for PERS where it earns a pretty good rate of return and over the, the years will generate and reduce our unfunded liability by $21.5 million. So it, it'll actually help keep our PERS rates down over future years. So it's actually, you know, all the cost savings work we did before is going to generate cost savings in the future. And it's one of the things we've been able to do successfully in Lane County. I mean, last year we got our, our highest bond rating ever in the history of Lane County.
from Moody's Investments. Hmm. And it was because we had been taking one-time monies and some of our cost savings and paying debt down. We've got a very low debt ratio in Lane County. And that fact that we got that high bond rating, well, we turned around and refinanced a bunch of older bonds that had a higher rate. And with that higher bond rating, we got a really good rate in the current market last year and saved $3 million in interest payments over the life of those bonds, just in the refinancing of those bonds. So that's, you know, that's the kind of things we just need to consistently do in Lane County is, is keep up with all this strong financial management because it keeps paying off. And it's one of the ways we've been able to not have to make cuts in services is because we've been so disciplined about controlling our costs along the way. So people go, how can you be excited about a budget? You know, for me, it's pretty exciting. If you can't tell, I get pretty hopped up on all this stuff. And it, it's one of those things. So Jeff, you had a question? Hey, Jay, um, so what, what percentage of uh, the revenues come from logging uh, or the uh, or accounting? Well, now it's very little. And in fact, um, now they re-upped the, the Secure Rural Schools and the Omnibus Spending Bill a couple months ago. Counties either have to take harvest revenue or Secure Rural Schools. And in the case of our general fund, which gets our, our harvest revenue from the Bureau of Land Management managed lands, there's a little bit of gain in taking the SRS money. We were going to probably get a couple million dollars in harvest revenue. Now we're getting four million dollars in SRS money. In the road fund, though, we we're only going to get a couple hundred thousand dollars from the U.S. Forest Service managed lands, and the SRS actually gives us several million. So we're actually not getting any money from harvest in this budget. It's all from the Secure Rural Schools funds that were reauthorized in the omnibus budget that went through it. I guess it was March. They passed that ominous budget that, you know, that great big deficit busting thing that they did. Um, but in, in that, they did include a two-year re-up SRS. But the thing is, we can't count on that. That's not consistently recurring money and has dwindled over the years. Um, I wish I had a graphic I could show on the radio. But there was actually one year where they didn't re-up it and we got no SRS money. So really what we're looking at that SRS money is we're considering that more like one-time revenue into the county. So we're gonna utilize it for those one-time sort of investments. And one of the second things that's exciting about our budget right now is we're gonna take about 2 million of that and leverage it on housing uh, projects in the county as we look at trying to resolve some of our housing issues, where we're gonna use that for local match or to match other state and federal funding uh, and try and turn that 2 million into 10 million or something in housing. and and so that's another piece of the budget proposals that's come out. But the, it really the, the timber revenue coming into Lane County, you know, you know, as you look at inflation adjusted dollars, in today's dollars, what used to come into the county back in the 70s and 80s would look more like about $140 million a year. Wow. We're talking less than 10 million with Secure Rural Schools Act. Actual harvest was probably less than 3 million. Wow. So, so wow. that's that's the the level of decrease when you start talking about what when you inflation adjust what we used to get, which is one of the reasons you know when Measure Five was passed in the state of Oregon and local governments got locked into their permanent rates, Lane County had this incredibly low permanent tax rate because we used to be able to fund really good government 
you know, really you know, high level of government services on timber receipts. Right. And now we're at the point that, you know, we, we don't have that timber receipt money, but we got locked in at the seventh lowest tax rate of all the counties. Yeah. There's 36 counties in Oregon, and we got the seventh lowest at a dollar twenty-eight per thousand. Yeah, what frustrates me is that you know I believe the primary uh, uh, job of government is to protect us, and now that we're having to pass bonds to secure the our law enforcement to lock up you know dangerous people, when I would think that's the responsibility of the state of Oregon, and now. On our backs as in bonds. Am I right in saying that? That well, the way um, the delegation of authorities and what who's got the mandated uh, requirement to provide things in Oregon, jails are mandated to the counties. You know, the, the, we have elected sheriffs in in Oregon, and one of the mandated duties of a sheriff under state law is to provide a jail. That's you know that's. You know, there actually is not a mandate to provide patrol. Hmm. So you know, when you get right down to it, so it's, it's interesting how things are divided up. And the state um, only provides the DA position. The rest of the DA's staff is provided by the county. Yeah, so, and, it's, and you get into some other things where the state actually funds court operations, but the actual courthouse has to be funded by the county. So it, it, there's, the way things get divided up in, in public safety is a little bit odd. Uh, our parole and probation department is actually state funded, even though it's housed in county facilities. And we do a little bit of subsidizing of that department. So as you look up and down through how public safety functions, it's a mishmash of who's responsible for what a little bit. But when it comes down to outside of a city, the, the patrol responsibility is really the sheriff's. Hmm. In, in the state of Oregon, and, and that, that jail is also the sheriff's responsibility, and it's supposed to be funded by the locality. Now, the state prison system and OSP are funded directly through the state, but that's, you know, once you're sentenced to prison, and that's a year or more sentence of a, of a felony, that you end up in that state-funded system. Right. So, you know, the, the rest of it, all of the folks that have been arrested and are waiting trial, we hold all those felons, you know. Now, inside a lot of cities, they might have a municipal jail, but they only can hold folks that have been accused of misdemeanors. Once you're a felon, you know, whether you're arrested in Eugene or you're arrested out in Deadwood, you end up in our jail. And of course, a lot of the municipal jails can't take females because they, they they're not large enough to segregate the population or, or correct or have the correct facilities to take both sexes. Hmm. There are also a lot of municipal jails. They can't handle any medical cases. So all the real expensive prisoners come to our jail. The ones that have medical needs and all that, because we have medical staff. So, so we, we, we get, you know, and we can't, you know, can't choose, pick and choose that. So it's kind of interesting how that's provided, but that is a local service that's provided under state law. So Back in the day before we had Measure 5 and froze some of those revenues you know, that come into localities, the timber supported that really well. You know, we had, had a fully functioning jail. We had 99 folks in our, our police division of our sheriff's office and, and you know, had a pretty robust public safety system here in Lane County. So if we increased our timber harvest, we theoretically could have lower taxes. That's correct. Yeah. 
we'd have to get beyond probably the level of harvest um, you know that 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 gets beyond the, the SRS payments to some degree but yeah there there's there is that potential that as we increase timber harvest particularly timber harvest goes into two different buckets for the county the the Oregon and California lands that BLM manages for the counties that goes into our general fund the cost the 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 receipt sharing that we do between us and the federal government mm -hmm. and the U.S. Forest Service lands actually go into our road fund, which is a highly con constrained fund. It has to be spent on roads. It can't be spent on public safety other than a little bit of it can be spent on patrol. We can subsidize patrol out of that federal forest money, which we have used. And that's one of the ways we got back 24 hour patrol in this, in this county. So it's uh, yeah, if we had more more harvest particularly on the ONC lands which by statute are supposed to be managed for timber harvest right. so that's uh that would definitely help out with at least the need for additional tax revenue there if we had higher harvest in the ONC lands the US forest service lands are only going to help our our transportation infrastructure yeah it, it's funny uh, you know the control aspect is uh when we first moved here we we moved north of town in the woods and the first thing somebody said to us, well, buy yourself a shotgun because it's going to take them 45 minutes to get to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but, you know, and that's, you know, it's a reality because we, you know, we had the situation down there in Dune City where there was actually, um, you know, a guy running around with a gun and, and um, it took a good 45 minutes for the first deputy to show up because we only have as at any one time in Lane County, we have three deputies on patrol and a sergeant that oversees them. So if those deputies have been called somewhere to the other side of Eugene, like Lowell, you know, and a call comes in over here, it can take a significant amount of time to, for that response in that in that particular time period. Fortunately, um, in the Florence area, we have a resident deputy that's here, you know, part of the week, and also our Dunes deputy that the state parks folks pay for, but they're contracted to do certain things and we, you know, try not to pull them off of those certain duties. At the same time, we also have some forest patrol deputies that, that quite often are closer to this side because the forest is more on this side of, of the county. Um, but again, you know, our, our marine patrol deputies, the dunes deputy, the forest patrol deputies, they're actually contracted by an outside agency to provide their service but in that emergency call they will provide backup and sometimes or even the first responder i think if, if folks remember about four years ago maybe five years ago there was an incident where a woman came home and there was a half naked man in her kitchen with a shovel that attacked her out in the deadwood area and our actual first deputy on the scene was one of our forest deputies because he, he was the closest deputy to respond so in those kind of you know, life, death, you know, there's somebody in my home right now sort of situations. We will pull those deputies into those situations. But you do have to be ready um, for that, you know, how you're going to handle yourself for that 40 minutes it may take for a response. And even if you live in Florence proper, where they have a police force, there are times where they may only have one officer on duty and the other people are responding from home. And you may still have to 
be 10 or 15 minutes before that police officer is going to show up, which kind of gets to the whole idea of people having a choice of how they wish to defend themselves. You know, and, and, and that's, as I sit with the Constitution behind me, you know, it guarantees that choice of how people wish to defend themselves. And I support people's right, right to, to choose how they wish to do that. So, um, and I, I want to give a heads up to my uh, producer here. It looks like we're going to make the full hour because the uh, speaker that was coming in and going to cut us a little short today is running late. So, Robin, we're going to run the full hour. So, okay. I remind folks you're listening to Bo's No Show, and uh, I am your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And if you want to get in and talk here, and you heard Jeff um, get in on the conversation a little bit, if you want to get in like Jeff, it's 646-721-9887. Just press one. Let's Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. That's 646-721-9887. And just press one. So Robin, were you trying to jump in there? No, just acknowledging. Okay, good. <laughs> hey, you know, the miracle of the internet. I usually do this show from beautiful downtown Elmira in, in, my, in, my, in my office at home. And Robin is producing this show from beautiful downtown Springfield. Now I'm in beautiful downtown Florence, and she's still way over there in Springfield, 50-some miles away. And uh, it's just amazing that you can have this kind of communication nowadays and uh, do a radio show through the Internet. It's kind of kind of kind of fun just to think about that for a little bit. You know, what you know, remember it, it, a live broadcast in the old days, they'd have to bring all this equipment with them and you know, a truck with this, some kind of you know antennas and things, you know, it's just wires all over the place. I'm sitting in front of a computer. <laughs> and barring Patriot Place's wonderfully fast Wi Fi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. It's a selfish question. It's about yeah. political signs. In in the county, uh, there are rules about political signs and where they can be and how close to a, a road and what size they can be and so forth. Yeah. And go ahead. So um, generally, cities have individual rules. So you have to be right. careful if I you're inside outside, city limits. But if you're outside outside, outside city limits in the county, we do not really have a the county does not have a sign size restriction mm -hmm. um, but the one thing we do have a restriction on is you cannot place signs inside public property mm -hmm. it has to be on private property so you so you can't have it basically most streets the telephone poles and the power poles are on the right of way where it separates where the private property ends and public property mm -hmm. begins so you kind of want to look for hints like that um, as to where the the right of way starts and if you're on a street with sidewalks, you don't want to have it between the sidewalk and the curb because the sidewalks usually in the right of way. So you want to just make sure as you put up a lawn sign for your favorite candidate that you're keeping it on private property. And part of that is a traffic safety issue that 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 distracts from people driving and also can actually block you on corners and stuff like that. The other part of it is is that public right of way is paid for with public taxes. 
And one of the things there's a real heavy restriction on in Oregon is using taxpayer provided resources for campaigns. Right. That's exactly. So, so if somebody's posting a political sign in the public right of way, they're actually, you know, taking other people's taxpayer resources and supporting a candidate with it. And they may not agree with that. And there's that that's one piece of separation. You know, we are, you know, guaranteed, you know, the right to political speech, but we're also not supposed to have governmental sponsored political speech. Well, this is even worse yeah. than that. We went to the effort of getting permission from private property owners uh, to, uh, this happens to be up on 101 and 35th, to put uh, political signs, which we did. And then the Nora Kent campaign, which didn't have permission, put signs on that property that did not give them permission. Yeah. So I don't think that really echoes well on the forthcoming and honesty of, of that particular campaign. Yeah. It's a little annoying. Yeah, you should have permission from the private property owner. Exactly. That's, you know, usually, for the most part, uh, as I campaign, I'm, I, I instruct people about where they can put their sign up when I hand them the yard sign, about putting it on their own private property. And I generally, if, if I'm having larger you know, field signs and all that put up, I have permission of the owner before they go up. Excellent. And uh, so it, it's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm aware of that, you know, and one of the real issues is I, I, I really don't like to see people post signs on, on power poles and telephone poles. Uh, having worked at a utility before, there is a safety issue around that. Yeah. And even yard signs, but I mean, you know, for right. yard sales, mm -hmm. they should not be on power poles. That, that is a safety issue. Is there any, can you post any sign that you want as far as political signs? On your private property, there's no rules against that. In Lane County, there is no prohibition against that. Yeah, yeah. If it's political speech, we can't restrict it on private property. It's very difficult to do so. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah. So, but if you get inside city limits, there can be sign codes. And if if folks want to have a question, please come up close to the computer here so we can pick you up on the radio show. So so, I, yeah. Sorry to make folks get up, but you know, as you're sitting, if you sit too far away, Robin's not going to be able to hear you. Um, but that, that's, you know, really, uh, Lane County has very few sign restrictions in its code, unless it's commercial signs, and that's a whole different story. But, but political speech has that First Amendment protection that we all want to protect. And, uh, and not, yep. So, um, Joe, you had a, had a question? Yes. I, would it be fair to say that the position of county commissioner requires considerable experience in a vast number of areas, including knowledge of legislation, knowledge of the practices, uh, background on how you read a financial statement, how you read a set of plans? Wouldn't you say that a neophyte, a newcomer to this kind of a position would be at a distinct disadvantage when you have had two terms, if I recall correctly, of experience. Yeah, um, it is, I mean, even coming in with some pretty good experience in my first term, you know, I had served on the Lane Community College Board of Education, so I'd done four budgets for that mm -hmm. organization, fairly large organization, and in fact, in, in another 
organization that was in financial crisis when I came in. And I have a lot of background in municipal government and, and local government as a civil engineer. It was still like drinking from a fire hose, you know, the, the first couple of months. So I, I do think as a county commissioner, you know, one of the the biggest things you have to be able to do is is, is to have a high capacity to to learn quickly and 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 cover a lot of ground and have a have a work ethic that's going to get through all of that that material. At the same time, you're also you know for everyone outside of the city, you're the first level of government. So you also have to have while you're doing all this background reading, have the ability to take a phone call from a constituent and connect them with the correct department or service and try and solve their problem, the correct level of government. So there's, it, it requires a, a whole range of, of skills and talents. And I, you know, I believe that over the, the eight years I've been a commissioner, I've been able to demonstrate I've got the, the correct talents to fulfill the position because it definitely, uh, it takes, you know, I spend Sunday nights when you know, most people are, are probably kind of getting ready for the work week, maybe you know, calming down, finishing up their weekend. I'm usually reading board materials for the Tuesday board meeting because I know I probably won't get a chance to read it on Monday. You know, so I, I'm you know, in front of the computer, you know, reading all the background to the decisions I'm going to have to make on Tuesday board meetings. And that's, you know, I'll, I'll spend, you know, get up in the morning at six o'clock in the morning with my first cup of coffee. I'm reading the email I got overnight, you know, and, and, and from constituents, you know, and I'm constantly having to do research and background on that. But there is, there, you know, the county government, you know, people talk, you know, my county administrator, administrator talks about it this way. City governments are, you know, a yard wide and a mile deep. You know, where they, they provide some services that really high. The, the county government is a mile wide, but it's still a mile deep in some ways. Because yeah. <laughs> we provide, you know, city governments tend to, you know, they might have police services, they might have a park and rec department, you know, they're providing some permits and stuff like that, some and some city streets and maybe water and sewer. They don't have a health department because in, in, in Oregon, Health departments are actually not allowed at the city level. It's a mandated responsibility of county government. So we've got this whole huge set of health and human services that city governments don't have. We, we also have jail. You know, and so, you know, we had talked about earlier jail. We also have parole and probation and prosecution attorneys and everything else. So there's this level of government that you don't see. And you really have to be able to navigate all those and, and, and be able to get up to speed get the background material and make good decisions for the county um, in, in the long run. It really is, you know, not for the faint of heart for the first time. And also, you know, really have to, you have to also know when you don't know something. Yeah. Last, yeah. Sorry. Last question. When you are reelected, not if you will be reelected. Mm -hmm. I like your confidence, Joe. <laughs> what would be that particular task? that you know you have to accomplish that will give you the most satisfaction for a wonderful career in politics? So one of the things, and one of the reasons why, you know, people have asked me, you know, you serve two terms, why don't you step aside, let somebody else have a chance, you know, why are you running again? 
there is that task out there. You know, I spent my first term in crisis management stabilizing the county. The second term was kind of about doing some good financial management, setting up a strategic plan and pointing the county in some really good directions and rebuilding some services in some ways. You know, we got the jail levy renewed with a 72% yes vote. This next term for me is about a couple things. One is we got to continue that financial management because if we don't, things will fall apart in a hurry. But also, I really want to find a way of, of getting our public safety system beyond where it is today and in, into some permanent funding over in the long run at a, in a, in a, at a level that actually is functional. I, you know, we talked earlier about three deputies on duty. We shouldn't be there. We should have 10 deputies on duty across this, this county. And if I can get to that permanent funding of a stable public safety system, we have a 10-year public safety plan, and we're, we, we're, we just finished up phase one of the 10-year plan, and we're going into phase two. If I can get that system set up before I leave office, that would, that would be a major accomplishment to, to stabilize our public safety system here in Lane County. The Shoots County managed to do it, and they, it took them eight years from start to finish to build that system. And I sort of started last, you know, I, I've been laying the background work for it. If I can finish that up, that will be a major accomplishment. The second thing I really want to get done is I want to increase the housing supply here in Lane County. We've got to do something about the cost of housing. Thank you, Joe. You're, you're welcome. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, uh, well, my question was uh, not question, but statement. I'd say the first amendment, first amendment, and the second amendment. How much do you hear about people that want to do something with these two amendments? Well, for the most part. Yeah, I hear a lot of people that are that want to protect their First Amendment rights, right. and 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 that's really important and a, and, a, and a big value. You know, here in Oregon, you know, everybody wants to be heard. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's one of the things that goes, drives some people crazy is is we do a lot of process uh, in making decisions where we have hearings, we hold public meetings. You know, we 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 we've gone to the point now where we even do. Uh, internet polls and everything else trying to gather in, input before we make decisions mm -hmm. and that's about honoring people's first amendment right to to, to speech yeah. and addressing and, and redress of the government the second amendment i hear a lot about too and and in, in particular i get a lot of questions about you know do i support the second amendment and then of course there's the concern about folks about gun safety on the other side of the issue um, that we hear a lot about but for me, you know, it's really about, you know, what was the original framers of the Constitution and, and doing, and, and do you read the actual language? And it, and it, there's a preamble in that Second Amendment statement that talks about militia, but the actual action portion of it's the second half, which is the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. And that, that's really what the Constitution tells us. And until somebody amends the U.S. Constitution, and if you read the Oregon Constitution, its statement on the right to bear arms is actually not qualified. Okay. It's actually it's it's actually stronger than the U.S. Constitution. So you know that to me you know is about people having the choice of how they want to protect themselves and also you know protect themselves from a potential tyrannical government. 
So yeah, it it's I hear about it when I'm I'm out talking with folks, and there's some people that are concerned that that possibility you know the First Amendment goes too far and people are allowed to have hate speech and and there there's concerns there and I I always worry that you get into this start getting into gray areas where you're you're interfering with people's speech, and then on the Second Amendment people want people to be safe and there's this trade off of passing laws for safety that actually infringe on liberty. And, and, you know, it's, it's more of a, you feel safe with those laws. You're not truly safe. Yeah. yeah so, so we have to, we have to be very careful with those two. Well, uh, with this politically correct initiative of people, uh, we love to say anything anymore, but they're, they're not, they haven't got the power right now, as far as I can see that. But anyway, uh, when you talk about people thinking they've got the right to go out and break windows and all that, no. Uh, it says a freedom, uh, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to, peaceably to assemble. Yeah. And to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And so now in the Second Amendment, here's the way I read it. It said, no soldier, oh wait, that skipped down through. Yeah, yeah. A well-regulated militia yeah. being necessary to the security of a free state. All those words mean something to me. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be a friend, infringed. Now, there's those out there, and now if they disarm us, who's going to move in on us? Who's going to break your door down because they? Well, it, it, and it, the real issue is is folks that are going to commit crimes aren't going to obey the laws. Yeah. The only people that are going to obey those laws are the law, the law-abiding folks. Well, I so so that. when you get into those laws that are going to take, you know, yeah. that are going to take away people's choice of how they want to defend themselves. Yeah, you know, we were talking about how it can be even inside city limits. It can be 10 or 15 minutes before you get a response from police services. Yeah, well, see, that's so, where that, that militia, see, I consider every citizen in the United States a member of the militia. And so if something goes wrong next door, uh, they've got a signal there, and you go in and, and help them, whatever it calls for. Now, like, like I said, a regulated, a regulated, regulated, yeah. Militia, and and so I see it as all of us that are part of the militia, yeah. and that means whatever's met and it's necessary. Yeah. Now, what do you think of that? What I mean, this, I didn't. That's not me. That's what yeah. Second Amendment of, yeah. of the Bill of Rights. Well, I don't know if we're all members of the militia, but I do know that that that's a if, if as you read in, in in the English language the way that sentence is set up. That's really not the actionable portion of that amendment. The actionable portion is the second portion of that amendment, which is that that a person's right to bear arms shall not be infringed. Yeah, well, you know, that's like that's a qualifying statement in advance. But the thing is, so, there's power there, and we should yep. learn how to use it again. <laughs> yep. So I want to remind folks you're listening to the Bose Nose Show here on KRBN Internet Radio, and don't forget that you can like us on Facebook on our. KRVN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page. And we all also stream this show live on Facebook on that internet 
internet uh, news talk radio page. And if you want to get in on the conversation, you can call us here on the Bose Nose Show at 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. So, Jeff, you wanted to bring something up here? Yeah, uh, Jay, uh, just totally changing direction here. So we've had uh, a few people come into uh, the Patriot Place and bring up this issue of the, of the spraying. And, um, and I wonder if you could just address that rather clearly for us, uh, the whole situation. Yeah, sure. So um, there are a couple things with the spray issue, and I'm going to talk about two things first. One is the initiative process, because one of the things that people are hearing out there is somehow or another the Board of Commissioners was interfering with people's initiatives rights. And I want to make it clear that the Board of Commissioners has no role and cannot actually stop a citizen's initiative petition or, or promote one because so, it is a citizen process. So there was a petition in the past to ban uh, spraying. Right. And, and the courts stopped it because it didn't meet with the statutes that are required to, to have them voted on. Okay. It was written in a way that included multiple votes on different actions and the courts determined it it wasn't written correctly and did not meet statute so therefore the court stopped it from getting on the ballot the commissioners had no role in that okay. in fact we we can't there's no action the commissioners could take that could stop an initiative that meets the statutes from getting on the ballot okay so i i've actually heard um just wild accusations that you know spraying this stuff is is equivalent to spraying uh, Agent Orange. I mean, yeah. can you just address that? So, yeah, some of that comes from, you know, 40 and 50 years ago, there were some bad incidents with how herbicides were used in forest practices. But, you know, the actual act, one of the active ingredients, the really bad one in Agent Orange has been banned in the United States since 1971. And a lot of the chemicals that were responsible for some of those incidents back in the 70s are no longer in use in the United States. What is in use now is approved by EPA, and a lot of it was approved in, in EPA administrations under Democrat administrations, and it's been considered safe, and it's done in, in ways that have changed technologically drastically from 40 or 50 years ago. And if you look at water quality coming from actively managed forests, coming from those streams, it's some of the best water quality in our country. And if you look at the actual data for some of the public water systems that are available that have intakes on rivers that have active forest management where herbicides are used as part of that forest management, there's virtually no record of detecting herbicides at the intakes for these public water systems. So the, the, the accusations sometimes are, are very emotional and you know when you're talking about herbicides, yes, if you were to drink concentrated Roundup, uh, it, it's going to harm you, uh, and and, it, and it's marked as a poison. But you know if you if it's applied correctly, if you stay out of the application area till it dries, it's it can be done very safely, and it's about controlling invasive species right. and allowing the trees that are planted there that are native trees to this area to get 
tall enough to outgrow those invasive species like Himalayan blackberry and Scotch broom. Mm -hmm. You know, so so that's really what what that that's about. And it's and it's not applied year after year after year. Right. They only do it in the first phases of growing a new forest when the when the trees are young, and it'll be maybe two or three applications, and then they won't come back until they've they've harvested that that land, which it might be two or three applications every forty years. Oh, geez, so, so yeah, so that. You know, some of the some of it it sounds really bad. You know, they, oh, they're spraying poisons from helicopters. You know, and, but it, the reality is, it's done very safely by the industry. It's highly regulated. The penalties for not doing it safely are drastic uh, on the industry. In fact, the industry actually promoted some legislation in 2015 that increased those penalties significantly because they wanted to show people how responsible they are. Wow, nice to know. Whoa. So, so if you don't mind coming up close to you can hear me. Okay. Uh, the permit process in Lane County is getting slow as molasses, and the cost per square foot to get a permit to build a house is getting way out of hand. Yeah. What can be done? Yeah. So you know that's something that I'm really sensitive to because I've been having a lot of concerns come up to me in the last six months in particular, and a part of it's the building boom. A lot of people are under construction. Part of it's, you know, we're having, if, if you've ever had to try and hire a building official or an electrical inspector or a codes review person, they're getting really hard to hire right now because of the building boom. So we're, we're on the edge staffing-wise. Also, our permit section was made self-funded back in the early 2000s, where they um, basically said, you're not gonna get general fund money, you have to be self-sustaining. So the cost of permits has risen because of that need to be self-sustaining. So we need to kind of look at that model a little bit and see if there's some way we might be able to, to, to put some of the permit section back on you know, some kind of uh, uh, other funds than just the permit fees. But at the same time, we need to look at the service model there. And it's something I'm, I'm looking at right now. And I've been talking with, in fact, what's, I, I had a meeting with the home builders the other day. What's funny is the day before I'd been talking with our county administrator about my concerns because I was starting to hear from individuals out in the community that were becoming slower than some of the cities. Now to make matters worse though, there's an attorney general's opinion that came out that basically says cities and counties cannot delegate their building code authority. And that it's unconstitutional delegation of our discretionary authority. So Dune City, which contracts with a third party to do their permit review, is gonna be turning their permit review back to the county. So it's going to get worse before it gets better. That means and they can't hire contractors? Right, yeah. It, 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 it is, and this, this gets down to some state officials that are taking a very hard line look at our ability to contract out, which gets a little bit scary because we contract out a lot of different things that have some discretionary authority. And they're basically saying that the approving of building permits, which I would argue is not discretionary, because if you submit plans that meet the code, you're allowed to have a permit. And the code is pretty black and white. You know, you know, it either is structurally sound or it isn't, according to the way the code defines. 
but the AG's office and and the, the Department of Justice at the state level and the state building code official have decided that they want to go after these third-party contractors that provide building permit review and inspection for small cities and small counties. So Dune City is having trouble right now. The city of Anita is having trouble right now. And uh, a couple other cities around uh, Lane County are up for their review. Every four years, the state delegates the authority for building permits to the municipalities and counties. You go through a four-year review cycle. Well, there's six, six cities in Lane County that are up for their review this year. That's, Dune City being one of them. That's insane. I mean, if you have to hire, you have, you have to create another employee. And for for a small city like Dune City is ridiculous. So that so they can't do it, which under state law, then the county has to provide that service. And if the county can't provide the service, the state does, but the state will charge the county for that service. So it's kind of so. You know, I understand there's we have an issue with with our service level and our building permit department. The problem is, is the state's making it harder on everybody because it's not just Dune City that's in that trouble. It's Polk County. It's, you know, all these other cities. So now when we try and hire somebody that's an electrical contract, you know, an electrical inspector that's certified, we are competing with everybody across the state that's been caught with that decision that just came out last year and we're all trying to resolve this by july 1st because that's the deadline to have this resolved so so uh, you know for at, at the same time this is the same you know administration up there with with governor brown that's concerned about the housing crisis yet they're forcing this thing about contract third-party contractors on cities you know, what do you think that's going to do to the housing? You know, if, if there's a bunch of permit delays in the middle of a housing crisis. So it's one of those things where you kind of go, why are they doing this? What's the motivation behind this? And then you start to think about, you know, who's been contributing to some of those campaigns up there and uh, how those, you know, when they take away those third party contractors, which are private sector contractors, and we have to hire building folks that are public employees. Now, if you can kind of connect the dots a little bit about, you know, where the public employee unions contribute money and that may be why we're in this, you know. So, so rather than be concerned about housing, we're more concerned about awarding a political contributor you know, when it comes down to this decision. So I, I just, it's aggravating to me. So. I, I understand that. So we got a, a couple minutes left in, in, until the, until our your, somebody waves at me, your guest coming in. I can actually go overtime. The beauty of internet radio shows is we can actually go over. Hey, um, Rob, do you, you want to cut the music? Because I think we're going to go a little bit long unless you need to run. No, we can go ahead and go long. Okay, because I got a, got another question. I got a pretty good audience right now. They're coming in for the next speaker who's late. Hey, for the person that's late. Hey, is there somewhere we can get talking points to be able to intelligently address this subject with people? About the building officials? Yes. Uh, the Home Builders Association, uh, the State Home Builders Association should be able to provide some talking points about that.
So, so were there any other? I've got a question. Uh, sure, come on. Thanks. Get close so we can make sure we pick you up. Ray, I'm a, I'm a transplant to Oregon. My wife and I moved here from New Mexico a couple of years ago. We left because uh, New Mexico uh, is uh, one of the two states that's losing population. And the main reason is because of the uh, uh, amount of illegal aliens moving into the state wow. and the amount of crime. Wow. And uh, I realize there's a lot of important issues here in Oregon, uh, in this county. There's the education, the environment, uh, uh, housing. I, but I, I, I have a, a comment, and then I'd like for you to respond. And that is, uh, my comment is that I think that the, probably the highest priority in my mind is to start uh, restricting illegals from moving in. Uh, we've been a gracious nation. We've allowed them to come in, and now we're paying for it. Having said that, I don't know what you can do as a county commissioner. There's a lot of people that are putting a lot of weight on your shoulders. Yeah. Is there anything you can do, or are you like the rest of us? Are you just an average citizen that has a concern, and you have to call the Border Patrol, or you have to call ICE to, yeah. to deal with it? Yeah. So, you know, it's... This is an interesting topic because a lot of people have some real misunderstandings about the state of Oregon and how we function. There's an assumption that we are a sanctuary state, but that's because people haven't read the actual executive order that defined what sanctuary means. And there is a law in this state that says you cannot expend state or local funds to do immigration enforcement. But there is no law in the state that bans us from communicating with ICE once we have somebody in custody. Yeah. And the actual definition of sanctuary under the Trump administration's executive order is failing to communicate once you have somebody in custody. The actual not expending local monies to do federal law enforcement, that makes perfect sense. You know, that's not really what we're... Um, we're funded to do. That's not what your local property tax, you know, your local property tax is about funding our jail, funding our patrol. It's not about funding enforcement of federal immigration law. So there is a prohibition on us using local money to enforce immigration law, but we do not fail to communicate. And our sheriff will communicate with ICE once we have somebody in custody let them know we have people in custody, then they can check to see if they want to come pick them up. We cannot keep somebody in jail beyond their release date, though, and wait to wait for ICE, because that violates court. Well, you know, there's been court decisions about that. That's illegal. You can't detain somebody illegally like that. So we do communicate with the federal government, and, and, and we actually are in compliance with the executive order that the Trump administration put out and we're still in compliance with state law. So we, that's, that's where we are as a county. Thank you. And so Thank you. if that makes that, yeah. that kind of clarifies, so we are not a sanction, we are by definition of the executive order, we don't qualify as a sanctuary state. Now there are some jurisdictions in the state that do not communicate with ICE. Multnomah County is, is a prime example. So they are considered sanctuary. Yeah, one more insert here, whatever you want to call it. 
primary object should be the education of our youth in the science of government. Science. In a Republican republic, what species of knowledge can be equally important? Question mark. And what duty more pressing than the communicating it to those who are to be the future guardians of the liberties of this of the country. Yep. Quote George Washington. Yep. Well, you know, it is government is a science in a lot of ways. And it's one of the reasons why I think my engineering background has worked well for me, because I want to get to objective uh, decisions, not decisions based on emotion. But I think he does, you know, teaching our youth about how government works is really important. One of the things that we're doing in Lane County is we've actually set up um, an agreement with the University of Oregon where we're utilizing their, their school as a policy lab where we're working back and forth with them and their, and their, uh, their school of uh, public policy and, and going back and forth and developing policies. We also um, have internship programs. We work with U of O and bring folks into our government and serve internships to get them educated in government. Mm. But I really strongly believe we need to get more youth involved. And what would be great is that as I look around Patriot Place here is the average age is probably my age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and uh, and uh, you know we really want we really want to get our youth involved and understanding you know what's up on the wall behind me and understanding about government. So you guys need to start bringing the uh, the kids in and 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 attracting them in here in some ways. So think about how you can how you can bring youth into Patriot Place. You know that's that's. That's my challenge to all of you volunteers that help help serve here and the folks in the community is how can you bring you know some of the high school kids over here and how can you bring some of the you know the younger younger generation that's busy you know transporting their kids to and from the soccer games and you know getting them to and from you know you know crow for the the school plays and 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 all around you know and, and interrupt that cycle a little bit for those young you know, folks that, that have families and say, can you spend, you know, a half hour a week and come and learn a little bit about really how this country functions? Because really, yeah, really democracy and, and actually this is a representative republic. I shouldn't call it a democracy. Depends on educated voting voters, you know, and I really support that idea of we need to bring young people in and get them educated. And, and Sherry and Jeff, I'm depending on you guys to give me the high sign when your guest comes in, so I can bring the radio show to a close. So, so I'll keep go, I'll keep going as long as people have questions and I'm entertaining folks. So, uh, I, so, I hold on just a little booklet. Yeah. Yep. That's got over there. Yeah. I just read this yesterday, and I'm really thrilled on. I've got I had my own little. Yeah. It's a good one. Rule book. Citizens' rule book. But this is. I mean, that just what I just read you there. Yeah. Talking about what the president said. My wife's nudging me to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Let's give somebody else an opportunity. Joe, you had a quick question. I have an idea on how to get all the kids possible here. We go to the high school the way the Democrats have been doing it forever. Even when I was the chairman, 
and they registered all of them as Democrats. And it's time we get equal uh, audience down there at the high school. We can get permission to go in because they give the Democrats and sign them up. And then bring them over here and see what we do. Okay, Joe, I'll put the table with you. Yeah. <laughs> see, I don't know if anybody else in the room has had occasion to avail themselves of your knowledge and services, but I just want to say thank you because the few times that I've contacted you, you have been immediately responsive, even on a Sunday evening. And I greatly appreciate how you stay on top of things and respond quickly. Right. Yeah, I, I tell people you're never not a commissioner. <laughs> I went to Costco the other day for a minute just to grab a couple things real quick. I ran into Dan Buckwald with the Sheriff's Department and I ran into a couple other people I know. You know, it, it's kind of that way. I went in to pick up Chinese food from the local Chinese place in Benita the other night. And a gentleman there buttonholed me and had to talk to me about one of his neighbors that has got a really junky place and he's got some people living in trailers and doing a few other things that violate zoning code and you know wanted wanted my help with that. So I always count on an extra 15 minutes when I go to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, you know, because and, and it's like I said, you have to be prepared to have that that enough energy to to be on top of your email i can't you know i'm sure that during this this broadcast which has been going on for a little bit more than an hour i've probably received 15 or 20 emails oh, and, and and facebook messages or requests and all that and it's just that's you know part of being a commissioner and get it getting if you don't if you don't keep up with that and be quickly responsive it gets to be overwhelming trying trying to keep up with it so part so so if you do email me on a Sunday, you may get a response, believe it or not. And uh, but if you email me much after nine o'clock, you might not. <laughs> but, uh, I will say I'm one of those early riser people. You know, if you email me at five thirty in the morning, I might respond right then. But if you email me past nine o'clock, I'm probably uh, <laughs> probably in bed. <laughs> thank you for coming. Well, really. Thank you, Sherry. I think, I, I think I'm getting the hook here, Robin. If, if you, want, you want to play the outro there? I think we're going to wrap up the Bose Nose Show for this week. I want to thank everybody that's out there listening on, on our KRBN Internet News Talk Radio. Don't forget that you can email us between shows at talk at krbnradio.net. You can always reach me on Facebook at my Jay Bozevich Westland County Commissioner Facebook page. And, uh, you know, Next Wednesday, 4 o'clock, we should be here live doing the Bose Nose Show. may not be in beautiful Old Town Florence. I may be back in downtown Elmira. <laughs> but, uh, you know, thank you for listening. And uh, I want to thank Sherry and Jeff and everyone here at Patriot Place for hosting me. It's been fun. And uh, we'll have to come back. So thank you for listening. <laughs>